For the rest of you, we're going to get started uh, this morning. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans and chapter 8. Put your finger there or open it to there. That's where we're going to be primarily this morning. Uh, we're starting a brand new series this week, today, and it's going to be a series that will take us five weeks, and we're going to be going through the book of Romans, pardon me, chapter 8, only chapter 8 of the book of Romans. And some of you are like, whew, because it's a big book. It's an amazing tome of theology. And this is something the Lord put on my heart, and I'll get into that in a few minutes, but put it there. The title for our series overall is Life and Liberty in the Spirit. And so that's what's our, our pattern going to be for this next five weeks. Now, some of you will also remember, and be, some of you are like maybe a little disappointed, that one of our other traditions, we have a few here at the Rock Church, is that usually on the first Sunday in January of a new year, we have a message called Resolution, Right? And it's not about New Year's resolutions because we, we, we know those just are futile, right? And, uh, but no, it's, it's usually about taking an opportunity to look back on the year that's just passed and the uh, life and ministry of our church in this community and just, just uh, you know, revel in some of the highlights. And some of you might be going, 2021? <laughs> Can we just... And, okay. And then the other thing we do is we, we like to look forward. We like to dream forward a little bit and, and vision a little bit. What, what about this year? And so... Um, actually, I just want to focus on that more this morning with you and going forward. And here's the thing. Um, I, I spend a fair bit of time um, praying about ministry, even when I'm on vacations in the summer, uh, praying about, okay, what's next? Where should we go in the Bible? Where should we go as a church? What do we need? What does our body need? And by the way, if you didn't know that, that's what your pastors and, and those who are preaching and teaching do on a, on a regular basis, is we, we consider our church, our family, here in Squamish, not in America, not in Toronto, not in any other place, but here. And we ask ourselves, what, what, is, what is our body needing right now? And that's what we do. And so I just want to encourage you the, that, that the reason why we go through books of the Bible and we do the things that we do is because we feel the Holy Spirit of God has put it on our hearts for you. Not so much for me, but, but for you. So that's an important thing. But I, I have to be honest with you, I find it a little bit more difficult these days. <laughs> And uh, for a number of reasons, especially the last couple of years, let's be honest, uh, for me anyway, it's, it seems like almost every week or two anyway, it's like, it's a little bit unclear. Uh, will we actually be gathering? <laughs> How many people will be allowed to come? And so that's been a huge challenge in the last couple of years uh, in preparing for that. I mean, what are people going to be, who is going to be here, if anybody, and then online, and how is this going to connect and reach our church and body? But second of all, and this is an important part of that, we are actually seeing each other physically less often. Uh, We all have community groups we can go to throughout the week, even when we were doing them on Zoom. And that's great, but I, we who lead and are are involved in the ministry of the church, we look forward to the gathering on Sunday when we can meet all of the church, the the people who are not in our missional community group, uh, and we can have at least a little bit of a catch-up about life and how things are going. And, and that, that's a, a bit of a, a clue to us. We can talk about, yes, the pandemic. We can talk about what's going on in our world and community. And, and that is helpful for us understanding where things are at with the body. And so that's also been a big challenge for me personally, but I think also for you as well. Finally, as a church, and some of you are aware of this, we're going through a rather significant change in leadership at the church. Uh, we have had uh, some elders as part of this church who've been elders for a long time. 
uh, like as long as myself in one case anyway, uh, here at the Rock Church, and for too long. They've served well, and so we've actually had in the last uh, six months, three elders step down, take a break from leadership. And so for me and for Rudy, two pastors in the church, that's a bit of a, a struggle and a challenge because we rely on our elders to uh, give us wisdom and listen to the things that we feel the Spirit is putting on our hearts to bring to you. And so the good news is out of that is we are currently going through an eldership chorus. We have several uh, men coming to the eldership chorus, several looking like it's possible that they actually feel qualified to be an elder. Uh, We have uh, our brother Kevin, who's here this morning, who's already an elder in training with us. So things are moving forward, and that's very encouraging. But still, it's been a challenge. And as I've been praying about these things, I think it's also true that you are very much aware of one other challenge that exists for us as a church. It's actually, I think, an awesome opportunity. Sometimes people see things like this, like change like this as, oh, that's sad, that's, that's whatever. But hey, this building that we're sitting in here this morning, um, this is our church's building, by the way. This is the rock. Uh, we call it our ministry center. This is part of the vision that God gave to us before we came here to plant this church 13 years ago, um, was to be here in the marketplace, on the street. And of course, you all know that Monday to Saturday for the past uh, many years, but specifically the last four, this has been operating as the Ledge Community Coffee House under the awesome leadership of Jeff Rietzma and Nick Cool. But also many of you are probably aware that on Thursday at four o'clock, it ended. That run of leadership and the Ledge Community Coffee House literally closed. And again, many of you are aware of the fact that we, we don't actually have a plan at this moment about reopening. And that's a good thing because we've been through this before as a church. And so what we're looking for is we're looking forward in the next few weeks, maybe months, of getting together as a church, having some town halls, definitely praying and fasting and asking the Holy Spirit, okay, what now? How do you want us to use this or do you want us to do something else, Lord? Because for 13 years, it's been great. And it is awesome to come here and worship on Sunday mornings. So I just want to encourage you, that's, that's one of the things that we're going to be uh, really looking into and dreaming forward in this year. But I'll remind us all of one thing most importantly. First and foremost, we are a church. We are a body of believers. And we are a church. <laughs> and so if this building, this space, is going to be able to be used for the sake of ministry for making Jesus known in Squamish, for the expansion of the kingdom of God in Squamish, awesome. If not, then maybe we need to do something else. So that's, that's a challenge, but it's an awesome opportunity as well. So finally, I do believe this. After praying for some time uh, before Christmas and actually during the Christmas break, honestly didn't know what today we would start. But I feel the Lord put a couple of things, two things on my heart and on my mind for you as a church for all of us, for 2022. And the first thing is, and it's probably obvious, but I'm going to use a specific word. And that is that you will, we will cling to the word of God. I believe in our day and age, not just here in Squamish, but worldwide. We need the word of God. We need the word of truth. And listen, you're going to have to cling to it. You're going to have to make an effort to hold on to it, to open it, to read it. I am too. We've got to do this. So I really want to encourage you 
on that level. Secondly, we need to cling to the secure knowledge of who, in fact, we are in Christ, if, in fact, we are in Christ. Got to cling to that. And that's what's actually led me to the passage and to the chapter, Romans chapter 8 today, to speak with you. Because as I think about it personally, but also I think, I, I would think with you yourself, it's like, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? Like, what's that life supposed to look like? Shouldn't it be great? Is it all the time? I want to encourage you with today's message, but also the whole chapter 8 that we're going to go through over five weeks. We are going to get to verses 1 and 2 in chapter 8, but we're going to need to read some context in order to get there. So read with me beginning in chapter 7 at verse 14. And we'll read right through until 8.2. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I, I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself serve the the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we are so grateful, Lord, for um, new years, times when it it can feel like a fresh start, maybe a do-over. Lord, I pray for everyone here today and for everyone in our church family that, Lord, um, we would not just repeat the year that happened. Certainly some of the things that we gave ourselves to in this past year. But instead, Lord, we pray with your direction and Holy Spirit, your power and strength, 
we pray that you would transform us. We pray, I pray, Lord, that you would help me and everyone else to see this life, this life that Jesus died to give to us, that is available to us, which is actually in us, in you, Holy Spirit. And so I pray that you would just bless us. Bless this word today. Help me to communicate this. I really need your help. Help us to hear you in this text and in these words. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I'm, I'm really, relatively certain if you've been a Christian for a very long time, and I know most of you, and I know many of you have, some of you, it's a beginning journey, but it's really been a while. You've been on this, this journey with Christ. And, and I'm pretty sure that if you've been taught the Scriptures well and appropriately, you will know that becoming a Christian is not a guarantee of a safe or a life free of persecution. You know that, right? You know when you trusted Christ, you received him, you believed in him, you got baptized, and you began the Christian life, that it wasn't going to be a bed of roses, right? You know that Jesus never promised that, right? He never played bait and switch with his disciples, did he? He never said, hey, listen, follow me, and yeah, at one point, I'll make you fishers of men and and women, etc., but you know what? It's going to be great. Everything's going to be, you're going to be safe, and you're going to be secure. Yes, you are. But your life is going to be awesome. It's going to be your best life ever, to quote someone who probably shouldn't be quoted too often. The truth is, he also said things like this. He said in John 15, John records it, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, or at least not supposed to be, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This Jesus speaking. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his, masters, his master. If they persecuted me and they did, right? They will also persecute you. So like, like I said, you got the memo, right? <laughs> like when you became a Christian, you, you got that memo, right? You, you, you knew it right from the get-go. And yet, and yet you said, okay, yeah. For what he did for me, it's the least that I could do is be like him. But let's ask this question, honest question, really. Really. Why did they hate Jesus? Why did they hate him? You know him, right? You, you know who he is. You know what he's like. You know that he's gentle. You know that he's humble. You know that he's a servant of all. You know that he, he came into this world to die for everyone's sins, even those who hate him. How can you hate this man? Why, why would people hate him? He said they did, that you know they did. You know people do today as well, right? People do. So why would that be? (laughs) That's a good answer. So the, the truth is this, though. If you read the Gospels and you read his words, what he continually did was speak the truth of the word of God to everyone. 
And, and when the word of God is spoken truthfully, as we saw in Acts chapter 2, or you would see in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preaches the most amazing gospel sermon of all time, people are cut to the what? Cut to the heart. Convicted by the Holy Spirit of their sin. But the reality is, people hated Jesus because they didn't like that. They didn't want their sin exposed. They didn't even want to feel guilty about it. In fact, we also learned in our Advent series, The Light of the World, that the truth is, and we were told by John in his gospel, that the other reason is is they they loved their sin. And they reject the righteousness of God. And that's why they hated Jesus. And that's why they hate him and maybe you and me today if we hold to the truth of the word of God. So we, we know that Jesus warned us about that part of the Christian life. Right? We know that. But he also said things like this. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I came that they may, look, have life. And have it more abundantly. Oh, there is more to life. That's awesome. We also know that from John's gospel in chapter 1, verse 4, when he was speaking about the word that became flesh and coming into this world, he said this, in him was life. That is a strong statement. In other words, in him is life. You and I have our life. We have our breath because of him. And then it says, and the life was the light of men. So there's there's this life that he's speaking about. But then you also know the famous verse, John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way. There's no other way. And I am the life. And I am the truth. No one comes to the Father but by me. So in these passages, and honestly, many, many more, we, we could read more of the words of Jesus, more of the epistles by Paul and by James and by John and others, and we, we would see that there's, there, there's this thing about the Christian life that's basically presented as, listen, this is the life. <laughs> like, first of all, without Christ, without being in Christ, you're spiritually dead. So you're really not fully alive, Right? And so with the Holy Spirit, we're, we're, we're made alive again. That's why we use the, the term born again. Spiritually, our spirit comes alive. And, and that's a good thing. That is the thing that propels us into the Christian life. And so my question is, shouldn't you and I be experiencing the life more and more every day? Are you? Come on, honestly, are you experiencing it every day? I, I'm your pastor. <laughs> I'm just one of us. I know that. I mean that sincerely. And I, I, I've been checking myself all week as I've been studying and preparing this and going, you know what? And my, my dear wife will tell you this because she listens to me moan and complain half the time, right? And, and she, I don't experience it like I should. And I'm, I'm getting tired of that. How about you? Well, that, that's actually what Paul is getting at in Romans chapters 7, 8, and 9. And, and it's called the trifecta in, in the book of Romans, right? Those three chapters are amazing. We, we, we're going to just focus on 8, but as you can see, we've been into 7 a little bit, and we'll stay there a little bit, just so we learn a little bit more about those first two verses in Romans chapter 8 and why they're so amazing and significant. And so Paul wants us, the Holy Spirit wants us to know there is an ultimate Christian life 
that Christ has for you and me, but the reality is, and Paul tells us right here in the passage we just read, that even he, listen, the Apostle Paul is not experiencing it all the time. I love this guy. Some people find him really harsh. (laughs) This is just pure honesty, and it should be. So that, my friends, is the point of this series, to start the new year that you and I become better acquainted with the life. The life that he's called us to. The life that he wants for us. Anybody want to sign up for this? Look, want to join me? I really want to discover that more with you in the coming weeks. However, here's the thing. Knowing who we are in Christ requires us remembering who we were. It's the old story of before the good news is really good news, you got to hear the bad news. Some people don't like preaching about the bad news. Okay, this might not be the church for you. Because we have to. We have to reflect on that. That's what the Word of God teaches us, that there is some challenges. To get to the good, we've got to remember that. And so that is what Paul is doing in Romans. As he does in most of his writings, as I'm suggesting, is to remind us of who we were so that we can truly appreciate the who we are now is because of what Christ has done for us. It's not because of anything you've done, showing up on Sunday in the snow, awesome. You, you do get a brownie point, by the way. But it's not because of that. It's because of what Christ has done completely for you and for myself to save us from ourselves. But also so that we can understand the battle that exists, the real battle that exists between our old sinful nature which some of our translations will call the flesh, and who we are now, now, and the work of the Spirit in our lives transforming us into the likeness of Christ. So Romans 8, if you do even a brief study of Romans 8, like reading commentaries, theologians, or some of the great preachers in history, you're going to read some of them referring to this chapter as the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. I've known for a long time the high place that the book of Romans holds with most Christian theologians, and I agree with them. But, but this chapter being the greatest? I mean, really? That sounds like a bit of a stretch, doesn't it? I mean, you and I both know, uh, of course, uh, what Paul wrote to Timothy when he said, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for instruction, etc. And of course, that is true. However, Maybe think of it this way, as one author who I respect said this about this chapter and this point. He said, all scripture is inspired, of course, and therefore important and profitable for us. However, not all scripture is equally inspiring. And that I agree with him is the point that is, you're going to see by the time we get to the end of chapter 8, it's really inspiring. And that's Paul and the Holy Spirit's hope. Now, if, if you doubt this, as I've alluded to before, uh, you will uh, get to this point, I'm sure, in your life journaling as you're reading through the Bible, where you're going to get to that particular book in the Old Testament where your zeal for getting through the whole Bible in one year might, might hit a wall. And of course, that book is what? Leviticus. Inspiring? Well, inspired for sure, but I'll leave it there. So, Let's have a look at what Paul had to say here that I read earlier, beginning in verse 14. It'll be on screen for you. So Paul begins off with these words, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So the word 
for here literally could be translated because. And what Paul is doing at this point in chapter 7 is he's, he's kind of coming to a conclusion of what he's been preaching, excuse me, specifically aimed at his brothers and sisters who are Jewish. Paul was a Jewish Pharisee, a religious leader in the Jewish faith, and he's appealing to them for the last little while. And this is, he's coming to the conclusion of that appeal. And, and his main appeal has been, has been this. He says, he's basically been trying to convince them, guys, listen, listen. Yeah, you, you know the law of God. You know that it's good. You do your best to keep it. You know the Ten Commandments and the other laws in, in the Old Testament that God gave to people of Israel. And so, but listen, I need, I need you to understand something. Just keeping the law or trying to keep the law will not save you. That's been his appeal for a while now in Romans. And it really what he's getting at with them is he wants them to understand is that the problem for them is this. They can't keep the law perfectly. And that is God's requirement with his law. Which is why in Matthew 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, to perfect it by living it out perfectly, which is what he did. And so this is his appeal, and and what he is saying here is he's going, so listen, at the end of the day, we know this, because the law of God is from God, that it is beautiful, that it is perfect, we know then, therefore, it is spiritual. And what he means by that, it is good spiritually. The law is good. It's not a bad thing. He said, but listen, I like you, I like you am of the flesh, sold under sin. And as a result of that, I can't keep the law. I'm not kidding myself, so why are you? Stop it, is what he's getting at with his brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith. And so what he says next, I think, is so encouraging. We'll just go through it briefly this morning, but you may want to reread it. Because here's the Apostle Paul. Can you believe this? He, he's at this point in his life, just to give you a little bit of background. He's, uh, you know, he's older. He's probably like late 50s, early 60s, like me. Okay, I'm older. And, and, but he's, he's the, and, and he's now been a follower of Jesus for 25 plus years. He's planted most of the churches uh, so far in uh, the early church age in the Middle East. Uh, he's written letters already. He's writing to the church in Rome approximately around 57 AD. So he's been with Jesus a long time, right? And yet, and yet look what he says. He says, for I do not understand even my own actions in verse 15. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing or things that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. (laughs) As I read this, I read this this week, I'm like, this is like Paul confessing that every single New Year's resolution he ever had was an abysmal failure, right? He said, I can't keep them. I don't know about you. I can't either. Can you? I mean, we try, but that's what he's basically confessing here. I mean, you can hear his honest frustration in these words. I'll paraphrase it for you. He's essentially saying, I don't know what's the matter with me. What's, what's gotten into me? I know better than this. I don't know what I'm doing. 
He goes, you know, I, I know I need to stop overeating that, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to start a diet, New Year's resolution, right? I'm going to do that. I, I, I know, I know that I need to stop drinking so much, right? I know I got to do that. I know that I, I need to stop stretching the truth, you know, little white lies and exaggerating a little bit about myself and, you know, hey, Pharisee of the Pharisees, remember me? Hey, maybe I need to stop doing that. I know I need to stop doing these things. but I just keep falling back into the same bad habits. It's crazy. He's saying, I know what I want to do, but I do not do it. And silly me, even the things that I've been doing that I really hate, I I keep doing them. Again, anybody got the t-shirt? I think it sounds familiar. It should be very encouraging on the one hand. Listen, Paul admits he has a problem. And it's one... He wants to show to you and I that we honestly, obviously have two. It is what is robbing us of the Christian life if we don't do something about it, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do something about it in our lives. So there's one word that's really a key in here that you see in Paul's words. It's a real key word. It is the word, and again, we don't like this word, but it's the word hate. You see, why that is an important word and a good word is because what Paul is saying is saying, look, 25 years with Jesus, I'm still doing these things that I don't want to do and things that I should be doing I'm not doing, I know. But listen, I've matured enough in my faith to this point in time where I can tell you this, I hate it. Listen, when you can get there as a Christian, when you can stand on that side of the line that God's on and look at what you're doing and look at the sin that is still evident in your life, now you're with God saying, I hate that. Because listen, God doesn't hate you. But he's not too enamored with sin. So Paul's matured. He's maturing. He's confessing this to the people in Rome who he's going to go and see soon. And so what he's also doing is he's preparing you and I for chapter 8. And so he goes on in verses 17 and 18 and says, So now, this is important, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in within me, or came from me, is a good way of putting it, that is in my flesh, but I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Man. Talk about confession. That's, you know what? That, that I think at the end of the day, no, I know at the end of the day, that is the, the main thing God wants from us. is <laughs> just to be honest with him and with each other. It's at that point that he can actually do something to help us. So look care- carefully here at his conclusion, because this is part of his conclusion. He begins by making a very interesting statement about his very identity, Right? He says, it's no longer I who do it. Hold on, Paul. <laughs> okay. okay. Maybe he needs counsel, right? Because like, what, what? You, Paul, you're not taking responsibility for the things you've been doing. He's saying, it's no longer I that is doing it. Paul would actually say this, I think. Not at all. The point is that I'm trying to get across to you is I actually know absolutely who I am now. I just want you to as well. 
That's what he's getting at. He's getting at it. You see, Paul is making here one of the most central claims of the gospel, which is that thanks to the saving work of Jesus Christ, you and I are now new creations in Christ, right? You've heard that before, right? We are new creations in Christ. The old man, the old woman has passed away, is dead and buried. That's why we get baptized. That's the symbolism of that. The new has come and replaced our old self. Or listen, at least that's the idea that Paul's leading us to. Ah, but. (laughs) You know there has to be a but, right? And whenever you see buts in Scripture, usually it's like, but God, which is always a wonderful thing because, but God is going to do something for you or has done something for you. But here, it's interesting. We are still here living in this world. This is the but. You and I are still here living in this world, which is under the influence of the devil and his minions. And we too are susceptible to the power of sin over us in this life. And so we know that there's a process called sanctification where we are being saved from the very power of sin in this world today. The gospel saves us from that. That's what we need to return to on a regular basis. And then look, what Paul concludes with here is key when he says, listen, this is great again. This is good news if you're a Christian that you can say this. But I I do desire, I desire to do what is good to do what is just, to do what is loving. But I personally lack the ability. Oh, wow. He's pointing us in a certain direction, isn't he? He, He's he's pointing us to one. We're going to get there, trust me. And to the one who can empower us to do these things. And so then he goes on with his confession in verses 19 and 20 and says, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I, again he's saying it, who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So he's repeating himself. He's repeating himself, reminding himself, but he's reminding you and I, listen, that's not you. It's the old you. It's not who you are now in Christ. Let's start living that way. But how? And that's what I hope we'll see throughout this series. So Paul has the answer to his dilemma, and he wants you and I to know what, that we can have it too when he says these words. This is beautiful. In verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am. Somewhere else in Scripture, he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. Like this, this is just an honest, confess, confessing man. Someone we should admire, quite frankly, for the way he looks wretched, Man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who? Who indeed. He tells us right away. Thanks be to God. There's your answer. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's who saved me. That's who, who saved me from the penalty of death. And it's also who is saving me from the very power of sin over my life in this day and age. And he's the one who will also save me from the very presence of sin when he takes me to be with him. Or he comes again. Lord Jesus, before the next snowstorm, please. 
It's beautiful. It's truly the good news. And now, after saying these things, Paul believes, and I do too, we are ready for chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says, there is therefore now. Hey, listen, circle that in your Bibles. Underline it. Hold on a sec. Do you have one? Do you have one with you? Yes, the first Sunday of the year. Every Sunday when I get up to preach, when it's my turn to do so, I always say the same thing. Do you remember what it is? Open your Bibles, please. See, look, this is, I'm going to make this point. I'm going to try to drill it down really importantly. You need to have one. Yeah, like you can have it on your phone and on a tablet. That's great too. And if you, you know how to have it on there and you can actually highlight and circle and underline things, great. But listen, you want to grow in your faith and your walk with Christ, have the word open, circle, underline things. Not just when I tell you, but when the Holy Spirit prompts you to do it. That's, that's how we grow. That's how we grow. There is therefore now, that word is important, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so to this point in our message and passage, Paul's teaching, we, we have come to understand this, I hope, <laughs> that the Christian life is not a bed of roses, right? It's not an up and to the right all the time. There, there should be a curve. It should be moving in that direction. If you look back over your life or anyone who loves you and is in faith with you should be able to say, yeah, yeah, you know what? I could, it's a little bumpy, but it's, it's moving in that direction. It should be anyway. In fact, there are obviously, come on, real struggles at work in our very members that go on all the time. We are in a daily battle with our old sinful fleshly nature. We are. We are. I'm not going to read them for you today, but I'm going to encourage you, when you go home, read all of chapter 8. I'll just give you a little hint. It ends really encouraging. (laughs) You should read it, okay? Because then when we come back next week and keep going in this, you're going to be going, really? I, I can overcome all this? I can? Like now in this life? So that's the battle. It really is. And, and, it's, and this old sinful nature is keeping us from the righteous life, the good and, listen, perfect life that Jesus has for us. So remember this. What Paul has been abundantly making clear so far is that when you and I sin, when we allow the flesh to get the better from us from time to time, listen, what he's saying is this. It's actually not you. You could be believing a lie. The enemy sure is you know what, wants you to believe that lie. He wants you to believe you're not good. You never became good. You're never going to be good. That's a huge lie. He never stops. You can't be like Jesus. Paul then, and I would agree, the Holy Spirit wants you and I to now, right now and forevermore, see ourselves in light of how God, how Christ, how our Heavenly Father sees us every moment of every day. You know what? We need a new healthy self-image, don't we? Christian, I do. To start 2022, oh man, the last couple of years have not been easy. Not been terrible, but they've not been... I'm going to need the help this, this coming year. So here's what happens to us if we allow ourselves to believe the lie that the Christian life is actually beyond our grasp or that we are failures. Now, if you've ever watched a person who's an alcoholic, 
I have when I worked uh, for three and a half years full-time at Union Gospel Mission in downtown Vancouver. You see people come in after detox, and they're a wreck. Like, they're a wreck physically. Uh, in some cases, they've lost their jobs, lost their uh, wives, because it's mostly men that we were dealing with on the, uh, the drug and alcohol recovery program at UGM. And, and, and you'll, you'll see that, I mean, everything that they've been doing in, in relation to alcohol has destroyed them. And, and then they go through the program, and after three to six months, they're clean, they're sober. They're, some of them are accepting Jesus, right? Which is really the whole point, right? Sure, we want people to get off uh, of addictions and, and be healthy, but here, here's the thing. I still remember the first time this happened. I came into work one, one morning at Union Gospel Mission. I went looking for a man by the name of Brad who I'd, I'd been interviewing for an interview in our newsletter. And, and this guy is such a, what an amazing story of, of how God had restored and redeemed him. And I, I went to the chaplain of Union Gospel Mission. I said, where's Brad? And he just, hey, Glenn, he's gone. He's back on the street. Oh, man, I got to tell you, that's hard. But listen, and, and people in our world and culture today struggling with gender identity issues, right? Come to faith in Jesus. Do you think there's going to be struggles? Do you think people are going to fall down and, and, and need a hand up? Not just a hand out? Yes, they are. But listen, we're all addicts. We're all addicted to something. And it shows up in our old sinful nature. And so listen, that's the challenge. But here's also the truth. It does not need to continue. It doesn't. And here's the hope in that. I never did see Brad again. But I've seen many others fall back onto the street and come back and start again. And sometimes it's taken a couple, three, four times. And you know what? Sober for life. For the rest of their lives. From that one very significant problem. So I want to suggest to you, it's only when we know uh, verse 1 of chapter 8 that we are really able to understand chapter 7, verse 24, right? I mean... Verse 1 again is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and so the question or the statement needs to be, how amazing is that considering the wretched man that I am? Right? I, I mean, given, listen, given that I know what I do know about myself. Given, right, that God knows those things about myself more than I do. And, and given all that... And God knows this about me. And like Paul, uh, the bad that I do and the good that I do not do, like at the end of the day, the, the, for most of us, it can get to the point where it's, what hope is there for me? Why don't I just give up? People do, you know. They might remain saved, but they give up on the life of the follower of Christ. That's painful to live a life like that the rest of your life. <laughs> Even if you are in Christ, it's not your best life that God has for you. So what Paul and the Holy Spirit wants you and I to know is this. In light of all of that being true, there is now no condemnation. Sounds too, too good to be true, right? It, come on, it, it does. I mean, like, would, would you give that to me? 
personally, if I failed you and failed you and failed you, if I was, you know, your husband or your brother, and, and I constantly kept going back to actually what the scripture talks about the dog going back to his vomit, if I kept doing that, at some point, wouldn't you go, not inviting Glenn for Christmas dinner? I mean, humans do that to each other, not our God. So there's two good ways for us to, I, I want to leave you with a couple things this morning. Two good ways for us to understand what's going on here. One of them is called our standing and our state, right? And the other is called our position practice. And the deal is, is that your standing and your position with God, once you're in Christ, never changes. It cannot change. Your state and your practice, mine too, well, that's another story. So, so what does it mean literally? I want to give you three things that no condemnation means. And we'll pick up a few more in the weeks ahead, but here's a few. First, we, we must see the words in Christ. So listen, it, it, there's no car in Christ. If you're not in Christ today, it's not the good news at this point yet for you. But if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. So first, what it means is that there's no condemnation is, number one, there's no rejection from God for you, for me, ever again. None. That's impossible for God. Are there any things that God can't do? Yes, there are some. He cannot lie. He, he cannot lie. He cannot break a promise that he makes. And so the first is that there's no rejection from God, by God, of you and me ever. There's nothing that you can do. You've heard this been said before. There's nothing that you can do to cause God to love you today more perfectly than he already does. But listen, there's also nothing that you can do that will cause him to no longer love you as perfectly as he already does. So secondly, no matter what you and I do that we hate, and we may even hate ourselves from time to time, I have, no consequences means that God is, listen, never angry with us, ever. Now, we were singing a song earlier today, and I don't want to you know, like, say anything nasty about or wrong about the song. It, it, its intention is right. God is angry towards sin, but when you are in Christ, no anger. It's impossible for God, the heart of God, to be angry towards us. It's very, very different. He will never punish us. This is the third thing. He will never punish us. Now, he might discipline you and me in order to transform us and cause us to grow in this Christian life, but he won't punish you. He punished Christ on your behalf, on the cross and in your place. He will never do that. Our Heavenly Father is far more like a good, loving, earthly father who's got a child, and, and he's trying to teach that child how to walk. I mean, the last thing he's going to do to that child that I would do to a child who tripped and fell when he was trying to learn how to walk is spank him. Going, What's wrong with you? <laughs> like, you should be walking by now. Somebody else's kid is, and they're like six months younger than you. Not our Heavenly Father. With our Heavenly Father, it's always this. Okay, Glenn, let's try this over again. Okay? I forgive you. I always forgive you. So Paul's desire... I believe throughout chapter 8 in his conclusion to this is to completely convince you and I of the reality of who we really are now. 
so that we can get on with living this life that we've been called to. And there's one aspect of that that he's going to, we're going to end with this morning in verse 2, that he, not, he, he, he needs us to understand. And let me read the verse for you first before I tell you what it is. Verse 2 says, Paul says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so if you haven't picked it up there, it's freedom. The work of Christ on your behalf has freed you from this, literally. Now, there's no condemnation for you, but that now also goes forward to the work of the Spirit in your life today. And that is you're free. We're free from the old sinful nature. And so Paul's letting us know here there's a new law in town, right? The new law in town is the law of the spirit of life. And so just as you're secure, you're secure, you, 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 you are secure in your standing and your position, we also possess this. Look at the words there. It says, he has, past tense, set you free. So the moment the Holy Spirit came into you, regenerated your heart and your literal person, you're free. You're free. I'll tell you what, if you were incarcerated or I was incarcerated for any heinous crime, and listen, before God, all sin is a heinous crime, and, 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 and I was in prison for five or ten years, and someone came along and said, and I wasn't expecting to get out at any given time, and someone comes along and says, you're free. Oh, man. I think the next, what, five, ten, twenty, thirty days would be really awesome. I would enjoy my freedom. The Christian life is supposed to be every day that way, is what we've been called to. And so that's uh, what I believe we're going to learn in Romans chapter 8. I want to paraphrase for you and close with this, something that you've heard me say many times, but I want to say it a little bit differently this morning, and I'm going to ask you to remember this as you go today. And I believe that if we get this, if we, if we get this and understand this really, really well, we will get closer together living that life that we're called to more and more every day. And it is this. Jesus gave his life for you. You know that, right? But listen, he gave his perfect life for you so that he could give his life to you. Give you his perfect life. And here's the big, big so that. So that he can live his perfect life in you and through you for the blessing of others. That's his desire for you and for me from today forward. Let's go and grasp it, okay? Pray with me, would you?